This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 221 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, May 7th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, May 11th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Jace. Admirals, we have some sad news this week. Unfortunately, Cookie will be taking a vacation for the next three weeks. So, we're all going to miss her terribly. We wish her very safe travels and a restful respite from the show. We're looking forward to her coming back with a vengeance. USS vengeance, perhaps. Also, I'm leaving the show. Admirals, I've had a great four-year run hosting Priority One Podcast with over 200 productions under my belt. Now, I won't be gone for good. I'll just be focusing my attention on our new show titled On Screen, which we have scheduled to debut in June. Also, I'm still the boss around these parts. Still the Cuban overlord. So I'm sure it won't be the last you hear of my voice on Priority One Podcast. So that means we need a new host. So if you think you have the time and can commit to hosting a podcast about Star Trek Online, then visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam to find out how you can submit your audition. This week... We trek out an update on Star Trek Axanar with creator Alec Peters. In STO News, players will finally get to fly the new pilot ships that Captain Tom Paris teased us with during the latest featured episode. We'll also review some controversial patches coming to the doffing system, and later, before we wrap up the show, we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. And speaking of hailing frequencies, it's great to receive all your messages. So chat with us during our live stream on Thursday nights at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live or answer our community questions by commenting on our website, Facebook.com forward slash Priority One or via Twitter at STO Priority One. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of their support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. So help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Actually, one last thing, folks. Not only are we auditioning for a new host, but we're looking to add some great talent to the Priority One podcast team. If you're a graphic artist that dabbles in cartooning, we'd love to have you on board. Or if you dabble in audio editing, we could certainly use some help producing the weekly shows. So again, you can send us an email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Fans are still talking about Prelude to Axanar, so let's get an update on the full-length film from its creator, Alec Peters. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. 
And joining us for this episode of Priority One Podcast is the creator of Star Trek Axonar, Alec Peters. Alec, thank you so very much for joining us this episode and coming on to offer us an update on the amazing project that everyone is so desperately looking forward to. Yes, well, uh, it's good to be here once again. I mean, boy, when was the first time we first recorded a a podcast together? Uh, Over a year ago, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Everything's going really well. Uh, We're really excited. I mean, we're five and a half months out from the shoot, which we set for October 19th. My birthday. What a wonderful birthday gift. Well, you'll have to come out. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're filling out the last remaining holes in our production. We have an amazing line producer, uh, Mike Demerit, who worked on uh, both Voyager and Enterprise. So he spent 11 years on Star Trek, his first and second AD. And uh, he is really amazing and just taking this production to a whole nother level. I mean, it is, he is a pro and uh, he's, he's creating a well-oiled machine and uh, certainly couldn't do it without him. So it's been a few months since we've had you on. What uh, what have you been working on in the last several months? I mean, you know, if, if for, for the fans that do follow Axonar, you do now have a space, correct? Yes, we do. So, you know, the last Kickstarter we did where we raised $638,000. Now, again, we only got 571000 of that money because Kickstarter and Amazon take their little piece of the action. And then we had to set aside a certain amount of money uh, for perks and shipping. What we have done is we got a facility. We paid off the first year's rent on that, as well as the security deposit. So we've, I signed a three-year lease on this building. Uh, we have started retrofitting it. We put down a stage floor. And um, since then, we've also started uh, building the sets. And we're well into it with the bridge. The bridge console should be going up next week. The entire bridge platform is complete. It's on wheels. So every single section will fly, as they say in the movie industry. We'll be able to move out any particular section of the bridge and uh, be built by you know professional movie uh, set construction people. So that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been basically building the infrastructure of what we call Airy Studios, which is where we will shoot Axonar and future projects uh, that we have uh, in the pipeline. That's fantastic. Now, can you remind us again who designed the bridge? The bridge is actually what we're working off of are the plans that they made for TOS sets in Trials and Tribulations, the Deep Space Nine episode where they went back to the time of uh, Trouble with Tribbles. Um, So I happen to have three of those blueprints from Gary Hutzel, the special effects supervisor. About two weeks ago, Dee Newberry, our construction supervisor, went to uh, Ticonderoga, New York and spent the weekend with James Cawley and and Star Trek Phase Two or Star Trek New Voyages, and they're calling themselves again. And he just photographed every inch of the sets up there, measured every single nook and cranny on those sets. But we have an enormous amount of data on the original series bridge. Now, what we're going to do with that is we're making certain changes to represent a a different era, 21 years before uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. um, And basically, uh, uh, the the class of ship right before the Enterprise. So there's going to be a lot lot of differences. Uh, Eric Henry... Who has done a lot of concept work on uh, the R sets, and the spectacular um, three-dimensional view of the bridge can be seen on um, our YouTube page, or it can be seen on our main action on our Facebook page. Uh, it's just truly spectacular, and um, everyone is so excited about what they see. There will probably be some subtle changes to what he's done, but uh, we're pretty excited about it. I, I can't wait till the bridge is finished. I mean, that is, I think that will be a, a, a really seminal moment in, in the history of Axon. 
So October isn't too far away, right? Five months go by pretty quickly. So what what are you most concerned about between now and October 19th? Well, first of all, having a line producer Mike Merritt on board eliminates a lot of the problems because here's a guy who knows where all the problems lie. You know, this, the challenges are really dealing with a crew that is not full-time right now. So how do you make sure that everyone's on track while they do other things? They may have other jobs, they may be doing other, you know, other things in their lives, but they have to make sure, we have to make sure that they give us the time that we need to get what we need done. And when certain departments don't do that, that those decisions fall upon me and uh, I pull the trigger uh, on, on decisions. And sometimes a department has to live with a decision they may not like, but if they didn't get the work done, it's fully understand no one's coming down on anyone, but we have to make decisions and move the process forward. So it's unlike a, a regular TV show or a regular movie where you start staffing up and you start, right? I mean, right now we should have six concept artists knocking this stuff out. Well, I don't. I've got a bunch of part-timers and volunteers right now. That's, the, that's where the challenge is. The challenge is getting the work done that you need without a full-time crew. Yeah, you know, it, it's certainly tough, as you said. It's it's when people are volunteering, they're balancing, you know, homework and life. You know, that doesn't mean that they don't appreciate the project in any way, but it's certainly, uh, it certainly can be challenging, no doubt. But regardless, the things that you have teased on Facebook and for, through social media just, you know, continues to keep the buzz going. And people are very excited about, about Axonar. Well, I think the one thing that we've done very well, if I, I have a chance to pat ourselves on the pat, is, is, is really, it's just kind of natural, is that we're fans. You know, myself, Rob Burnett, our editor, Christian Gossett, our director, even Mike Demerit, uh, our line producer. But really, the, you know, Rob, Christian, and I are kind of like the, 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 the triumvirate that, that's driving the process forward. We're huge Star Trek fans. And so engaging with the fans is fun. It's not a chore. I mean, whereas the studios never particularly like engaging with fans, we love engaging with fans. We go to different conventions and get to interact with the fans, and um, it's just so much fun. And, and I think one of the reasons they're so excited is not just the quality of Prelude to Axonar, but it's our constant engagement with them. And they know that we respect Star Trek, and we're fans, and we respect what they want to see. So it's a, you know, I, I mean, listen, we, it's Everyone out there is like our, our, our best fan friend, our BFF. So we're, we're coming up on convention season, right? We're hitting the summer, and they are popping up all throughout the country. Where are you going to be to promote Axonar? Ah, well, to find out, you can actually go to our website now. We actually have a tab where we list the, the conventions that we're going to be at. Uh, you know, the big one is we're waiting to hear back from San Diego Comic-Con to see if we get a panel, which we desperately hope we do. Um, that's really important to us. Galacticon we will be at with a panel and a booth, and a bunch of our actors will be there. Galacticon in Seattle, uh, July 31st to August 2nd. We will be the, at the official Star Trek Las Vegas convention, although unofficially. Because they are a licensed convention with CBS, we can't have a physical presence there. We're hoping to do something off-site like we did last year at Vegas. Last year we had a screening off-site, which was awesome. We're hoping to do that again. Then uh, we, we have a couple tentatives. Phoenix Comic Con at the end of this month. Fan Expo in Canada, which is huge in Toronto at the end of August. We will, of course, be at Dragon Con in one way, shape, or form. Um, I know we'll, we'll have a panel, and I know we'll have a booth there. We're always excited about Dragon Con because it's our favorite convention. And then hopefully New York Comic Con. So those are kind of the big ones. You know, we, ha we have to be careful because we're shooting in October. So, uh, you know, we have to be careful what, what we're doing. 
And again, all those listings can be found on the website. And, you know, again, there will be a new Kickstarter coming up. Uh, what can fans expect from that? We're really trying to give great geek perks. We're kind of working overtime on what are the things that fit into the budget, because you, you never want to give away something that's so expensive you're not making any money off of it. Fans are primarily donating for you to make a movie, but they're also like to get cool stuff. So part of that challenge is, well, what is the cool stuff that we can give away, right? We are going to be giving away, for example, screen-used dedication plaques from the USS Ares. And they're going to be made just like the ones that were made on Star Trek, so they will be stunningly beautiful. Um, and we will um, have a bunch of them. Um, we will little, My prop master is going to be swapping them out every day, so we will have multiple uh, uh, dedication plaques. And I think that's such a cool, such a, a very, very cool item. That is one of the perks we have. We have... Uh, Oh, uh, we have we have so many new donors that we have um, one level that's just everything from Prelude Taxonar. Get all the digital perks from Prelude Taxonar in one fell swoop. Of course, we have our amazing patches, which everyone loves. For this uh, Kickstarter, we'll be coming out with some really new, unique ones. I, I can tell you, we had a meeting with Kickstarter, and uh, the, I happen to know the head of the entertainment department of Kickstarter, and he put us in touch with the head of the film department because he said to us, look, you guys know what you're doing. We, you've done such a great job in the past. We want to make you one of our feature Kickstarters when you launch. So that's really exciting. So we'll have Kickstarters backing. Um, I, I will, I'm happy to say that our, our goal is for this is the production budget now. We're, the last Kickstarter was really getting the studio, building the sets, doing pre-production. All of that was kind of where the money went over the last nine months, really. We, it's almost nine months. I guess it is nine months since the last Kickstarter. This one will be for the production budget of Axon for the feature film. Uh, and Mike DeMeritt is working through the numbers on that. Our budget, is, we hope to bring our budget in around $800,000. That's kind of where we're looking, which means we'll have to raise like a million, a million, 1.1, you know, right in that range. Uh, Kickstarter said they think we absolutely should be able to hit that number. You know, right now, we're the, our last Kickstarter was the ninth biggest film Kickstarter of all time. So we hope to move up that chart. And all that money will go to the actual production. That'll go to the salaries because we're paying everyone this time. It is a fully professional production. You know, it, it's, it's a long shoot. There's special, obviously, an enormous amount of special effects. It's just going to be a much more expensive proposition than Prelude was, which you know, wound up costing, when all said and done, Prelude will cost about $90,000, $95,000. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where we're going. So, yeah, so getting... Coming up with, I was literally today working on what are the perks. And Diana, who's a, a director of fulfillment, and I keep going back and forth. How much should we price this? Or, you know, we were getting our, our head of makeup uh, said, "Well, you," he said, "you can uh, use me." I, he said on a Kickstarter I did with another film. Uh, one of the perks was two days in the makeup lab working as a makeup tech with uh, with him, and he's uh, runs a cinema makeup school here in uh, uh, in Hollywood, the biggest cinema makeup school in the country so uh, great well that was another perk that we added in today so we're really trying to just make it so people find something really cool that they can uh, they can get awesome awesome and when uh, i'm sorry when again is that kickstarter scheduled it's tentatively set for june 7th sunday june 7th okay. we're gonna have a huge launch event at johnson space center there will be a launch event at space center houston which is like the visitor center for Johnson Space Center. Johnson Space Center is a NASA facility. Of course, Space Center Houston is a for-profit separate business uh, aligned with that. So 
we can't have the launch event on Johnson Space Center, so all we're doing is having a screening there on Monday. But on Sunday, there'll be a huge launch event at, at Space Center Houston, right where the Galileo shuttlecraft now resides. I think it's going to be fantastic. We are going to have a, a video update every single day of the 30 days of the Kickstarter. We're going to have a weekly live one-hour webcast where we introduce a new cast member. You know, whatever the... Uh, as much as fun as people had in the last Kickstarter, this will blow people out of the water, what we're doing. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. So we'll look forward to that on, on June 7th. And of course, we'll be keeping up to date on, on all the social media websites. Why don't you remind everybody again where they can follow and track Axonar? Sure. Uh, best place is, is StarTrekAxonar.com. Follow me on you know, my daily captain's log. Uh, we have the blog there. We have all the information you need, all the resources you need. But uh, the fun place to be is on the Axonar fan group on Facebook. Just search Axonar fan group. You'll also find the Axonar uh, page, main page there. Just search Axonar, A-X-A-N-A-R. And, and between the Facebook and, and our website and Twitter, Star Trek Axonar on Twitter, you can find everything you need to uh, know about Axonar. You can engage with us. I'm on the fan group all the time. Terry and Diana are there. We're talking, answering questions. Just people are just having a good time with Axonar. And, and that's what it's all about, having fun. Absolutely. Well, Alec, thank you again so very much for joining me on this episode of Priority One Podcast and giving us this update. We are looking forward to the coming months and, of course, to seeing images from the shoot starting on my birthday on October 19th. <laughs> very good. Thanks so much for having us. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. This week in Star Trek Online News, we've got a lot of ground to cover. But we'll kick it off first with pilot ships, which are the latest addition to the stable, which are pretty interesting. One of their biggest features are a set of pilot maneuvers. And now these ships, there's three variants each for each of the three factions, similar to the command ships and some of the other bundles we've had in the past. Now these pilot maneuvers, though, are unique. I think of them as uh, similar to the maneuvers you can do on the ground, and they actually make that comparison in the dev blog as well. You can do keyboard commands to activate afterburners, a barrel roll, really an axial roll, or an aileron roll, or retro rockets. And it essentially lets you quickly move short distance in any of those four directions. And there's some customizing you can do with it as far as changing the key binds and that sort of thing, because a lot of us already have our keys set up this way and that. I don't know. It looks pretty cool. I haven't gotten the chance to try it out yet. What do you think about the pilot maneuvers, Elijah? You and I are both mostly spec'd into Intel, right? Yes, yes. In the specialization, yeah. I'm spec'd into Intel, and it's been a slow grind for me to develop any other specialization tree. As for the ship itself, I have grown so accustomed to these battle cruiser style ships. Not a full-on cruiser boat, but something like the Avenger, and now I'm in my Astica, that... I don't think that I would enjoy the fragility of an escort, to be honest with you. I tried to go back into the Phantom, and I just wasn't enjoying it. I really found myself kind of going, wow, I, I, wish I, I wish I was a little tankier. So I don't know that these ships are for me. I've just grown too used to my, my cruiser style, like that fine balance between the two. Yeah, these definitely require a, a fine degree of control. I'm not the best pilot. I flew escorts for a long time and mostly fly battle cruisers now myself but i'm very intrigued they're the first ships to come out since the andorian i believe in the sea store with five forward weapons and two aft which is kind of neat because it lets you do dual beam banks with a kinetic cutting beam aft 
in an omnidirectional beam without being locked into using the ancient omnidirectional beam and thus antiproton. So it might behoove me, or it might encourage me to make a dual beam bank ship using some unusual energy type. Like I, I have an affection for Polaron. I've used Polaron on several of my ships. But let's get into the nitty gritty. Like I said, they are five four weapons and two aft. So very front loaded with that. Great for cannons or dual beam banks, but you can set it up however you want. They all have a commander tactical slash pilot. So you can use your pilot specialization abilities there for bridge officers. Each of them also has a lieutenant pilot that varies based on which variant of the ship you have, a different lieutenant slot that is hybrid pilot seating. Interestingly, all three variants for each faction have five tactical consoles. Oh, so wow. quite potent to pack a punch. Yeah, yeah. They all have a high turn rate, of course, uh, and can load dual cannons. Now they come with some very interesting traits and consoles. I think that uh, what has really caught people's attention is the Mercury, Kortar, and Ocala classes micro projectile barrage. I've already seen some Robotech references with the Itano Missile Circus. And that seems like it could be pretty neat for projectile weapon aficionados. I'm intrigued by that. But now with this console, though, I, I don't know if this is the case, but is the effectiveness of this console improved by projectile weapon skills? No. However, it in turn provides a passive boost to projectile damage. So it synergizes if you're using other torpedoes. So I may I don't run torpedoes at all. I don't think I, I can't remember the last time I had a torpedo on a ship. Oh, actually during my Delta recruit, but that's because I'm, you know, level 15. So if I am just, a, you know, energy weapon oriented, which I am, am I going to see a benefit from using this universal console, do you think? Well, that particular one will also auto lock on the targets in its arc up to five foes, and it will do a knockback effect and spin them in a random direction. So it could kind of be your oh crap button to get enemies out from in front of you as you buzz through them and it'll do a bit of damage on its own that probably wouldn't be your first choice if you were running all energy though because you would waste that projectile boost now you mentioned it that uh, these have some interesting starship traits too the the three that are available are structural integrity overcharge subwarp sheath and stay on target the structural integrity overcharge is the one to me that i would want most right and in these ships i as these these tier six sea store ships that can be purchased I find that I care less about even the stats and more about what these starship traits have in store, mm -hmm. right? Um, because, for instance, the structural integrity overcharge, I can go ahead and use it on another ship, right? I can take that with me somewhere else. And I like the idea of the bonus to the to the whole regen. And on a ship like this, I can, I can probably guess pretty safely that, you know, you're going to want to have enough heals with you or something to like an oh crap button, right? Like a miracle, quote unquote miracle worker. Because with five weapons forward and two back, you're gonna be putting your forward facing shields in, the, in the, the arc of damage quite often. Very true. So you want something that's going to kind of give you that extra boost of, I'm not gonna die, right? So that the, these ships don't become glass cannons. So I'm a fan of the, the integrity overcharge, uh, which I can take with me to any other ship, right? Because I don't like to die. <laughs> yeah. I could see where that would suit you. Now, this is, you run high power levels on your other ships, but this is based off of your base unmodified engine power. So you would actually have to run a pretty high base engine power, not just 
when you have your leech going and all your other boosts. Ah, well, never mind then. So that it scales up with your with engine power specifically. That is a pretty neat one. I have tended towards uh, the other way, and I use other aspects of my ship to shore up its defenses and tend to take very offensive traits. So for me, I'm not positive yet. I think the big winner is subwarp sheath from the science-themed ones, the Icarus, Klavek, or Jai, uh, which that one gives you armor penetration with all weapons based on your speed. Ooh. But that one's a little tricky because how long will you keep your weapons on target if you're going top speed In an escort, unless you're yeah. using, say, beam arrays? However, now that we have pilot abilities, we can do some interesting things like decouple from our direction of forward motion. So... I'm interested to see how that pans out and builds. And of course, stay on target works well with those kinetic builds. If you keep your current target in your forward 90 degree arc, you auto fire micro torpedoes. So you can really end up causing quite a barrage. Now, how do the maneuvers work? These, I keep hearing about these pilot maneuvers. By default, they're similar to how you would roll on the ground. You do a du quick double tap in whichever direction you wanna go. And it either jumps you backwards with a retro rocket or does a quick roll to one side that also gives you lateral motion to that side cool. or forward. That must be interesting animation to see. Yeah, there's a very nice GIF of it that was posted with the release that shows several of those maneuvers in a game capture setting. You mean GIF? Don't start with me. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Jace? Overall, is this an investment that you're going to make? I want to do a little bit of uh, research on what people report, but I'm definitely interested in at least the Icarus. Uh, depending on how it pans out, there might be two of them that I want, which would make it make sense to get the three-pack. But I'm always a little behind. I just picked up the Phantom. I posted a Slowpoke meme, if people are familiar with that. Oh, I finally picked up the new ship. It's called the Phantom. <sighs> I have the Phantom, but I just haven't. Uh, maybe I'm just not flying it right. You're an ex-escort pilot, I think. You can't, you're I not think, really I think in that I am. mindset anymore. I think I am. I think I might be an ex-escort pilot. Moving on in Star Trek Online news, in the May 1st triple patch notes, which have now hit holodeck, it was announced that a few missions in the doffing system were going to get a serious nerf. The patch reads, resolved an issue that was causing all assignments with durations between 12 hours and 15.9 hours to scale their rewards more aggressively than intended. The skill point, expertise, and CXP bonuses from these assignments will be reduced accordingly. Now, the DOF assignments being referred to are the few that rewarded over 1,000 XP in the Solanae Dyson Sphere and the Delta Quadrant. Some of these DOF assignments have been in the game since Season 8 launched in November 2013. Now, these DOF missions were a very convenient way of earning a moderate amount of XP in order to help captains progress through the specialization tree. Now, it was by no means a get-rich-quick thing to progress and, and earn XP for the specialization, but if you didn't have time to run a PvEQ or a mission, this was this at least alleviated that, that, that sink. Now, I don't know about other players out there, but I haven't even completed one full specialization tree. Sure, I've invested a few points in other trees just to kind of see what it's like, but the system has been out since October 2014. Now, it's not something I'm clamoring to progress through, though. This is something that I, I pick away. And how did I pick away at it? Well, I did so by running those big payout DOF assignments 
in the Solonet Dyson Sphere and the Delta Quadrant. That's how. And even then, I feel like I've barely made a dent. So now, Cryptic is reporting that the system wasn't working as intended, and that those assignments were, were mistakes with a, with a decimal place in the wrong spot. So for over 18 months? Seriously? How has this been a problem for over 18 months, and now it's going to get nerfed? For what reason? How were people exploiting this, if at all, right? No, we're not saying that anybody acknowledged this as an exploit or anything of that nature, but why change it after 18 months? By logging in and playing the game every two to 15 hours to trigger the mission, I can't imagine that people were taking advantage of that. You had to log in, no matter what. Now, we talked about the DOF system with our there in our last interview with him, and we talked about it at great length. The DOF system is an already outdated system with inconsistencies throughout. So A, how does this change on those few assignments improve the system at all? And B, how are these assignments imbalancing gameplay in any way? When push comes to shove, I was already feeling that DOFing was a bit of a chore, right? On a list of many things I want to make sure I get done on a daily basis, on a nightly basis when I log in. But honestly, at least now, I don't think I have to worry about that anymore because I don't think I'll launch the DOS system. I think you helped me clarify my thought about it, which is that uh, based on the follow-up conversations on, uh, on the forums and on Reddit and uh, the, the conversations that Trendy had about it, it seems like there's something else in the works, whether it be uh, additional changes to the DOS system like Al was talking about, or whether something else to smooth out progression but yet again, and this is something we talked about a while back, right? Yet again, we see what are perceived by the community as nerfs with a promise of a fix on the horizon. I'm not saying that they shouldn't fix something that's not working as intended to get the numbers right so that they can build on top of that, which was Bordicus's point. That obviously is true. But if it went so long, why not wait until you have a bone to throw us like tit for tat? Obviously, you're not required to do that, but it fosters more goodwill than, hey, you're getting too much XP from DOFs, so we're going to flatten down that nail. And that's it. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. You know, I think that oftentimes we see these things happen, and then we get, you know, a follow-up. It's almost like it's putting out a fire, right? And LT has to jump in, swoop in, and, and the rest of the team has to jump in, swoop in, and put out this forum and community fire because all of a sudden, out of the blue, in a triple patch note, we see that something is going to get a nerf. And these particular missions, I don't see how, in fact, they were hurting anything. It wasn't like Japori Gate. You know, it wasn't anything that I think was curving the system dramatically. And like you said, this is one of those things that probably could have waited until whatever was on the horizon. And why not wait, you know? Because instead of putting out fires, you know, it, it, it should be about, you know, communicating, like, the awesome stuff on the horizon. So now we have to wait, like you said. You know, LT was hot on addressing the issues and, and informing everyone that this was this is just the first step in a series of steps to improve the DOF system. But I agree. I agree. I think that it might have been better in future updates like this to just wait until the system is going to get its, its overhaul or whatever it is that's on the horizon. Because for a player like me, right, that casual player, I don't really, I pro I, I'm not going to load the DOF system now. I probably won't, right? I've progressed as far as I've progressed. And I talked about this with Hour of Error about how, 
you know, the doffing system is kind of ambiguous. Like, what what is the end game and the end goal for it? And it's not like I was flying through XP with a doff system. I just don't, at this point, I don't see a reason for me to log in and worry about it. Yeah, I mean, they, if, if folks were getting a really disproportionate value out of it, they must have been putting a lot more work into it than I am because I log in at least once a day on my Delta recruit uh, because I haven't had a lot of time to play him. And, I mean, I see maybe part of one bubble towards the next level a day. I mean, not even a full bubble. So, like, it would take weeks of me doing just daily doffing, which, you know, we're talking about 12 to 15-hour doffs, so you can't do them more than twice a day. Yeah, exactly. And presumably you would have to take the time to fly around and find all the ones that are affected because I definitely don't get that many. I get a lot of short ones that probably end right after I log off and the time is wasted till the next day. It was time-gated, right? This was actually time-gated. You had to spend time. You had to log into the game and, and get it done, right? We'll just have to wait and see what these changes are going to be, right? That You know, these, these grander things on the horizon. Well, that's our opinion about the duty officer assignment nerf. There are patch notes that hit Holodeck on May the 7th. Jace, why don't you highlight a few of those? Sure. This is a big one. So uh, as I often do when we have a big build release, I encourage anyone to check out the link in the show notes and pour through these. You may find some that are relevant to your ship or your class or your build that we don't go over. But I would say the most exciting news, and this has been a known issue for a long time, is that they have finally resolved an issue which caused KDF captains to not appear on the scoreboard at the end of a PvP match. Uh, we also had fixes to the traits gained from the R&D system. Most of them were malfunctioning in one way or another, and they all should be now working properly, which is nice for me because I use Beam Barrage. Uh, there was a cap put on the crit chance gained from Particle Manipulator. It previously could be pushed all the way into over 100% chance of crit. It now has a hard cap of 50%, but you can get the critical chance benefit per point of particle generators was reduced, but it now adds crit severity. We also got some fixes across spec trees like uh, commando specializations, juggernaut shielding ability was preventing shield capacity from automatically updating when the spec was active. So that's a nice fix that some folks were looking for. And we also saw some changes to Gateway to Grethor, Brotherhood of the Sword, and Herald Sphere as they continue to fine-tune them. Uh, advanced in Gateway to Grethor now will fail if you don't save a single transport in Phase 2. It should give the same or more rewards as before, and the total of marks should be also the same or higher. The Brotherhood of the Sword mark rewards have been scaled down a little bit. They were initially set too high. However, Advanced no longer has a required objective. So now all the potential objectives will be there and however many of them you complete, you get rewarded for. Herald Sphere is a little more complicated. Each stage is a little bit different. So if you're an aficionado of Herald Sphere, I suggest you check it out because there's a little bit of tweak, mostly for Advanced, but also for Normal uh, and the optionals for each stage. And there were some additions to the Foundry, Solanogen-based life forms, Iconian Heralds, Iconian Space Critter Group, and uh, corrected names for some of the Vodwar ships. And for folks who have already pushed through and gotten Iconian Resistance Armor, there's now two versions of the bodysuit and better tinting. But like I said, this is a long one. Check it out for yourself. There may be more relevant to you than you expect. 
again this week in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs this week. Here's the latest comments pulled from the forums, DevTracker, and the Twitterverse. Christine Thompson tweeted, Great recording session with David Sabalov today. Can't wait to go home and watch him as Gorilla Grodd in The Flash. He was also Drax in the cartoon version of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Sweet. I love Gorilla Grodd. That's like one of my favorite comic book characters. For no reason other than he's a mad scientist gorilla. I just think it's <laughs> amazing. Al Rivera, Captain Gecko, tweeted, Did you know that when activating the pilot power reinforcement squadron, the fighters will perform a Colvord starburst? Pure awesome sauce. Now, the Colvord starburst is from the... Um TNG episode, right? That's the one that, that Wesley wasn't supposed to do? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. The one where Wesley killed somebody? Yeah, what a chomp. Before we wrap up Star Trek Online News, we have a few events coming up on the calendar. In the final week of the Delta Recruitment event, we are tasked with completing queued events and fleet actions. As a reward for completing Tier 1, we get 25% more bonus marks the following week. Tier 2 will grant 50%, and Tier 3 will grant 75%. All right, that wraps up Star Trek Online news this week. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Now, last week we didn't have any particular community question, but we did invite your opinions about the show and any of the topics that we covered. So why don't you take the first one, Jace? Sure. On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Ward Collis writes, Awesome show, guys. I'm rather surprised that nobody mentioned anything about the possible fleet changes coming. Many fleets, including P1 fleet, seem to stall on DOFs. While we can get DOFs for fleet credits, nobody wants to spend fleet credits on that. If it was possible to get those DOFs with expertise or fleet marks, it would be a huge help to fleet projects. That or just make some projects that don't need DOFs. And at first, I didn't get what he was saying about fleet marks, but... A lot of times it's hard to get to spend all your fleet marks to in, convert them into credits because everybody has a overload of them and is dumping them into the projects. Also, with the upcoming skill revamp, I really hope they don't use a traditional tree system. What I love most about the current system is that I can jump skills. By that I mean I don't need to have points in skill X to use or unlock skill Y. It's very customizable, which is Stowe's strongest feature in my opinion, which unfortunately I'm I'm pretty sure the way Al described it was as a tree. He did, yes. But, I mean, none of that's set in stone yet, but we'll see. Esen1983 commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I agree with Sarcasm Detector regarding forums. Past what we'd think, they continue to evolve and remain popular. If you look at where we get the word, the Roman Forum, the concept has gone strong for at least 2,000 years. But I digress. I've used vanilla forums on another game, and forum activity among the players is pretty constant. The interface is nicer than the one we currently have in Star Trek Online, and thread updates are easier to see. Another reason forums remain handy is that we may not be able to be in the game from work, but many of us can check the forums. Great show, as always. I don't know. I think that... Uh, what do you think, Jace? you think forums are a dying breed, or they're, ne they're not going anywhere? They're not going to go away, but I feel like someone needs to innovate on them. Like, a normal forum thrives on controversy because whatever gets commented on the most rises to the top, right? It's like bumping a post. Every time someone else comments or posts on the same thread, it rises back to the top. 
And you even have to have rules about how often people can bump their own posts and that kind of thing. Then you have something like Reddit where people can vote content up and down. It also takes into account the age of the content to sort it. But that has issues as well. People downvoting just because they disagree instead of the quality of the content. Uh, people wanting to be a troll and get lots of downvotes on purpose. People trying to uh, people putting too much value on the points and trying to accumulate them not always through legitimate means. I don't know. Neither is a perfect system. I think you'll always need some sort of forum for people to communicate with each other. I just don't know what the ideal structure would be for one. Enos Dax commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Outstanding show. I have to disagree with Elijah. Of course. Who doesn't? I, th- I think he means booming here. I think the forums are booming, and I see first-time posters Bombing. asking... Oh, booming? Qu- oh, booming. Oh, I see Yeah, yeah, because he's saying it's positive. I think the forums are booming, and I see first-time posters asking questions all the time. While I do follow the Twitter dev tracker, and it is where I get all my dev news, it only offsets their forum posts. I like your concept about, you know, it needs some type of evolution, and um, hopefully the vanilla forums will bring that evolution. Sean Newboy posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Great show, everyone. Thanks to Dr. Hurt and kudos to Starfish. These guys have great taste. Awesome show. Great show. Outstanding show. Great show. Yeah, they do have They have amazing taste. Stephen Smith adds via the Facebook post for this episode, Loved this show, except for one small issue. My wife and I both have hearing problems, and every time we heard the Skype sound effect, we would stop the podcast to answer the dang phone. <laughs> He's referring to the skit at the beginning of the show where, uh, where Ben used Skype sounds to right, to right. emulate when, the hangups. Uh, when Tony would call back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ben did a fantastic job bringing that skit to life. And again, a shout out to Jake who who wrote it. I mean, it was just it couldn't have worked out any better. Bushwookie tweeted, "Great show, guys." Was dying laughing at the beginning part with the angry admiral. The new show sounds awesome. Can't wait. For those of you that may not recognize that voice, that angry accountant admiral was the the voice of Tony Hunter, who you can catch hosting Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. I hear it's a pretty good show. You could try to get out. I don't know. Eldarion79 writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Is the new show going to be a mystery science theater style review? Well, you'll have to wait and see and come June for the first episode of On Screen. Well, Admirals, each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 221 of Priority One Podcast, brought to you by all our Patreon supporters. We thank the awesome patrons. And the rest of the team of listeners that support us each month on patreon.com forward slash priority one. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Well, Admirals, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we have several big announcements. First being that come June, we're launching a new project titled On Screen, a new show designed to add commentary to actual episodes of Star Trek. Additionally, we're looking to fill a new host spot as I transition out of Priority One Podcast and into the new show. 
We're also looking for talented artists and audio editors to join the Priority One Podcast team. If you're interested, just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Share your thoughts with us in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO221 or by replying to our post for this episode on our Facebook page. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like or check us out on Twitter via at STO priority one. You can even join the priority one podcast chat in game in your chat box. Just type the following forward slash channel underscore join priority one. Admirals, again, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of priority one podcast. Thanks to our patrons. We've already hit our monthly running costs and beyond. And we're starting to think about Vegas. Vegas, baby. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is a logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting... If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. Well, we wish Cookie a great vacation. We'll miss you so very much in the next three weeks, but we'll see you at the end of May. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistants, Admiral Winters, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to the writer of our prelude dramas and foundry reviewer, Jake Morgan, to our video editor, Jerry Tillman, to Chris Trone, our social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But, most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. You're such a fan of ground that you're all commando on all your characters. Oh, yeah, man. Such a fan of ground. The skill point, expertise. You see, it needs the Oxford comma. The skill point, expertise, and CXP bonuses. <laughs> that was board. I think it was board. Okay. Oh, I thought it was your text. I didn't realize you no, were reading no, no, his no. quote still. The, this is from the, uh, from the <laughs> patch notes. You okay over Are you there? Taking it?
Are you tweaking? Yeah, are you taking it back to no? Are you taking it back to some point? I don't. No, no, no. I I just I did. I I completed it. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. So we're, wait, we're done with the release notes? Or you no, gonna... no. I just completed that thought and asked you what what oh. you were confused about because you were talking while I was talking. This is what um, happens when Cookie's not here. We're about to fight. <laughs> we thank our awesome patriot. <laughs> I did what she always does. I'm channeling. I'm channeling. For the record, Q-Pen, I am quitting because of you. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. And without your flame threads and hate mail, we wouldn't be rid of Elijah. <laughs> <laughs>